Do you like this show and want to help support us? Want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Well, then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. and welcome back to another edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. So Derek, how has your week been? It's been a very busy week. Um, in addition to you know working my normal job, I've been working that indoor concert series that I talked about last week. Uh, so that took up, it didn't end too late, but it's kind of, you know, you go from one job to the next mm-hmm. and usually the, the concerts would start at seven end around eight, we'd leave around nine, which the studio we recorded at is like two blocks from my house. So it wasn't that far of a drive, but, you know, get home around nine fifteen, nine thirty ish, and then just kind of wake up and do the whole thing over again. And other than that, I've uh, got a new podcast set up, which uh, is pretty cool. Um, I actually got a bigger desk. Uh, so that way I can set up, you know, my monitors, my speakers, which I couldn't do on my old desk. And also, uh, my Zoom, my mixer, everything. So it's the the official Derek Diamond podcast studio is starting to come together, that which is pretty, pretty nice. Sweet. So, yeah, it's been um, it's been a little you know little project I've had in mind uh, for like the last month or so. A little something to you know do during the day to you know kind of stay a little bit active and just build something. And I've actually had uh, this was. The first weekend in a while that there was absolutely nothing going on work related. So I've other than that, I've done absolutely nothing this weekend. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of uh, Switch again. I started playing Zelda again the other night, Breath of the Wild. For some reason, I just felt like playing it. So I jumped back in and opened up some more. Um, oh, shit. What are they called? The, uh, the... <sighs> the shrines? Yeah, the shrines. Got it can't think of the word shrine. Um, but yeah, I opened up a couple more shrines, just kind of wandered around and just did some random stuff. It's still fun. That's funny. I just started playing Mario Odyssey again. I thought about that too. I was just sitting there by myself the other night. I was like, what do I want to play? Do I want to play Mario or Zelda? And I just popped in Zelda and started playing for a while. Oh, I did get the Nintendo switch online last night. Oh, awesome. Time for us to play some two player, um, some balloon fight or something. Oh, for sure. I got to get your, your ID. Yeah, so that way we can do that. But so far, I mean, I've briefly dabbled into it, but I really like it. Oh, I do have to give a shout out to Joey image for sending me, uh, he went to the big retro gaming convention up in New Jersey a couple of weeks ago and he sent me a, um, a 3d, uh, what do they call this? Kind of like a shadow box type of thing. It's a 3d yeah. super Mario brothers three um, box art that's awesome, and I put it up on the wall right next to my Super Mario Brothers three poster that was signed by Charles Martinet, and um, it looks really good up there. And I put a picture of it on my uh, my Instagram if anybody's interested to go look at that. Yeah, I saw that. It, it does look really cool next to it. I, I've always liked those those shadow box things ever since I was. I don't remember the first one I ever saw, but 
they they do look really cool, and it was cool of Joey to do that. Yeah, and speaking of Joey, he and Wally are going to be on uh, at the end of October for a very special episode of Nerd Cave Retro, where we talk about a retro horror movie for Halloween, which I think, if I'm not mistaken, the episode will be out on Halloween Day, if that, if if I get that uh, calendar math correct. That is correct. Awesome. Can't wait for that. Couldn't have worked out any perfectly. I know. But, um, but I'm ready to jump into the news for this week. How about you? Sure. Let's do it. Fans ask for a Philips CDI classic. Philips says, we will try our best. <laughs> it's from NintendoLife.com. Um, yeah, uh, Philips, the electronics company behind the ill-fated Philips CDI, has responded to fan requests for a classic miniature version of the console. Amazingly, looks like it could actually happen. Um, and and it, let's see, I, I could go through this article, but I'm just going to go ahead and say this right up front. Who is asking for this? Really? Who's asking guess, for this? I guess all two fans of the CDI are just <laughs> waiting outside uh, Phillips headquarters in droves asking for this thing. Yeah. I, I'll simply say this. There is a an old saying called let sleeping dogs lie. Mm-hmm. And I think that applies to the situation. Just, just let it lie. Uh, it says here in the article, a system easily forgotten about by fans, you can say that right, and possibly even more so by Nintendo. The Philips CDI was initially released as a family entertainment system in 91, uh, able to play a range of CD formats and cover all home entertainment needs. It originally focused on music and educational software, but the introduction of cheaper, low-ender PCs around that time soon put it out of favor among consumers. Um, let's see, uh, they of course had a couple of Zelda titles on there, Zelda The Wand of Gamelon, Link the Faces of Evil, and Zelda's Adventure. I think these are easily forgotten by the Zelda fan base as, uh, yeah, we're just not gonna count those. Yeah, just looking at the screen cap of Link and Zelda from one of those games just makes me angry. <laughs> Ugh. Uh... No. See, somebody put up a uh, a fake tweet about um, the Philips CDI Classic with 20 classic games, including Hotel Mario, Zelda, The Wand of Gamelon, uh, Burn Cycle, The Seventh Guest, blah, blah, blah. At the time of writing this, the tweet has gone on to be shared over 500 times, generating over 1,000 likes in the process. Um, yeah, I don't think that's enough to actually get a CDI mini in production. Now, how much did Phillips pay those people <laughs> to share that? Is Phillips even still around? Do they still make things like TVs and such? I think so. I want to say they still make TVs. It's, it's not really a brand I think of nowadays to for my electronic needs. Yeah, it's no Sony or Samsung. Yeah. I mean, no, speaking it's... of this, we, we really forgot to cover something last week, but uh, Sony has announced the PlayStation Classic that's going to be out in uh, December. And I'm going to be quite honest, I'm not interested at all. Nope. I'm I... starting to get a little burnt out on this whole mini retro thing. I mean, it's cool, don't get me wrong, but honestly, I'd much rather just... I mean, it's... You could go... It's very easy to find a PlayStation 2 right now. Anywhere yeah. you go. You go get a PlayStation 2... 
you'd get a nice one. You can probably still get them at um, GameStop because they just stopped making them like, what, three or four years ago? Um, You could still go get a brand new PlayStation 2 somewhere, and it's backwards compatible. So just go find the games at, you know, you can get PlayStation games for cheap as hell at the flea markets right now and go get whatever you want and pay less than the $100 they're asking for for the PlayStation Mini. Yeah, I just don't understand. I guess my thing is that there wasn't really anything outside of Crash Bandicoot that interested me as far as the PlayStation goes. I mean, if it had Resident e- like a Resident Evil collection on it, like Resident Evil 1 and 2, I mean, that would interest me, but not really. Yeah, I feel like everybody's kind of jumping on the Nintendo bandwagon as far as this whole, you know, mini console classic edition, you know, trying to capture on nostalgia, which I understand, but none of those companies are Nintendo. Yeah. Which, speaking of Nintendo, our next story comes to us from NintendoLife.com. The man behind SNES Star Fox talks about the Nintendo VR console that never was. I thought this was kind of a cool story. I love the picture in this article. <laughs> Dude, this is complete 80s. I have to save this. I'm going to save this image, and I'm putting it on the Nerd Cave Retro uh, Twitter page. No, absolutely. I feel like you could just throw our logo in the top right corner, and that would be the new like <laughs> website background. That would oh, be that would amazing. Be awesome. I'm saving this right now. Uh, it's this lady, she's at a, um, what looks to be, I don't even know what kind of computer this is. It looks like an old IBM or something. And she's got, I don't know what the hell she's holding in her left hand. It's some kind of a weird, I don't know if that's some sort of a mouse or. I think it is, but it's more like a, like a ball yeah, that she's like holding with, with a, a little keypad in yeah. front of it. And she's got, of course, VR goggles on. And she's got a power glove on her right hand. I love the power glove. It's so bad. (laughs) (laughs) But the great thing is that you can, like, she's wearing the VR goggles, but you can easily see what's on the computer screen. (laughs) It's so amazing. It's It's, so 80s. I love it. Oh, my God. This just, this screams 90s. Or, Or is that, would you say that's 80s or 90s? I'd say late eighties, even into yeah. early nineties, like may, no later than like 91. <laughs> I'm putting this on our Twitter right now. <laughs> uh, that's so good. Oh, uh, but anyway, boy. continuing with the story, uh, Argonaut software founder, Jez son has been speaking about a hardware project. He worked on with Nintendo that could have given the games industry affordable and effective home VR decades before the Oculus Rift and HTC Vive came along. He had previously spoken to Eurogamer about the Supervisor in 2013 when he said, We had built a virtual reality gaming system for them called Supervisor that would have been awesome. But instead they canned our project, which was full color, had head tracking and 3D texture mapping, and released the ill-fated Virtual Boy in its place. The UK gaming legend who founded Argonaut in his teens and would later work with Nintendo on Star Fox and the Super FX chip has now shed a little more light on the failed project in an interview with Metro. Uh, he worked on a VR machine for a su- uh, called the Supervisor for Nintendo, but unfortunately we fell out. A guy called Mr. Gnepi Yoi canceled our project in favor of the Virtual Boy, which we used to call the Virtual Dog because it was so bad. 
<laughs> he made a bet in the wrong direction, canceled our project, and his one was awful. Whoa. It was a bad decision. You know, it's weird we're talking about this now because if you go back and listen to the uh, the, uh, the interview I had with Scott Johnson a few weeks ago for our 100th episode, I made a prediction that Nintendo is going to be the one that's going to bring VR into the mainstream. And the ne- I say within the next five years. I think they're working on VR again behind the scenes, and if anybody can bring it into the the public consciousness, make it cheap enough and easy enough to use, it's going to be Nintendo. Yeah, because they they've tried things, you know, with the Wii and now the Switch. That's a little innovative in a way. And yeah, you know, they mentioned the Oculus Rift, which I saw in Best Buy yesterday and thought about trying, but I didn't. I was just having fun watching the people actually do it. Um, you know, I think it's the next logical step, so I don't disagree with your prediction. So their next console could be something VR based. It could be similar to, you know, what this interview is saying. Well, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to have to have a lot of graphical power under the hood, whatever it is that you plug into. Um, it's going to have to be way more, um, uh, you know, computing power under the hood than the the Switch has. So I think we may get another iteration of the Switch in the next year or so. Um, they'll probably build off the Switch, but I think within the next five years, it's going to be Nintendo coming out with something like really good as far as VR. I hope so. I mean, I think that would be really cool. And like you said, Nintendo would be the ones who would take the risk on it because I don't think Microsoft or Sony would do that. I don't think so either. I, I think they've dipped their toes into it, but you know, in the past, but I just don't think they have what it takes to make it, um, you know, very cheap and easy to use. So I think Nintendo is the one that's going to do that. I would agree with that. Um, and on to our last story for the night. Uh, Doom 2's final secret unlocked after 24 years. This is on TechSpot.com. The big picture. It's tough to determine what's more impressive here. The fact that people are still playing Doom 2 after nearly 24 years. Hell, I would. Doom 2 is a great game. Or the fact that it took this long for someone to figure out how to activate the the game's last remaining secret. Um, Let's see. they they, They discovered the secret without using cheats. The feat recently shared on YouTube by user Zero Master has since been confirmed by John Romero, one of the game's original programmers. As Zero Master explains in the video's description, the secret location on Map 15, Industrial Zone, has long been known but was thought to be impossible to trigger naturally without cheats. Until recently, the Doom Wiki for the secret reads as follows. It is impossible to register secret number 4 as the secret sector in question, sector 147, is located adjacent to the raised teleport pad and is only 16 units wide. This setup completely prevents the player from touching this sector's floor as is required to trigger a secret because upon crossing the second the sec- the sector's boundary they are immediately raised onto the pad and teleported away. Therefore the maximum secrets percentage one can get on this map is 90%. So in other words, the secret can only be registered if Doomguy's center is within the secret area and if he is on the same height of the secret sector the latter of which was thought to be impossible because Doom guys lifted up to the teleporter sector floor height when his center is on or <laughs> over the secret sector. Did you understand any of that? 
Not really, because I never played Doom 2. <laughs> but either way, it sounds it sounds very complicated. I just thought it was cool that, you know, for one, people are still playing this game 20 plus years after it came out, and it took people this long oh. to find a secret. Here's how he did it. Zero Master figured out you can lure a pain elemental into the area and have it spawn a lost soul on top of you, thus forcing you down and putting you within the secret sector. Romero explained it on Twitter. Uh, he, he said, uh, A secret teleporter is marked as a discoverable secret, but when you touch it, you never enter the sector, so you would never get inside the teleporter sector to trigger the secret. The only way to trigger the secret is to be pushed by an enemy into it. Hashtag doom. That's crazy. It's a lot of secrets. Yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, <laughs> okay. That's a lot to do to figure this secret out. I wish that I had time, like a lot of people do online, to just find hidden things in video games. You and me both. How do people find time to do this stuff? I barely have time to like cook dinner. Uh, you and me both. <laughs> much, much less... <laughs> Play this, play Doom Two for hours on end, trying to find you know a secret twenty plus years after it came out. <laughs> Almost twenty five years later, people are still finding secrets. That's crazy. That that says a lot about the the longevity of this game. If people are still playing it, oh, absolutely. Doom's great. I used to play it all the time in my computer class in high school. Yeah, I, I remember you mentioning that it was one of those games that you know when I would go over to my uncle's house after school. I would watch him play the uh, Doom and uh, Star Wars Dark Forces. Yes, great games. You can still get those on uh, on Steam too. One day uh, I'll I'll play them. <laughs> but let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Let's see. In October of 1983. Coleco releases the Atom home computer. It is only on the market for 15 months. Do I remember the Atom computer? I do not. This thing doesn't even have a monitor. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I like that it has Roman numeral keys at the top. Weird. I, I mean, you've got your, your typical number keys below it. Yeah. Why have the Roman numerals? I don't know. I would love I, to to just have this. It looks cool. Yeah. No, I I know the name, the Coleco, and I know the name of the Atom computer, but never never played one or played on one because you know it was a little bit before my time. Maybe this was their attempt to stay relevant in the uh, the the computer era after the video game crash because this came out in '83. So, yeah, possibly. Maybe. On October 18th, 1985, we talked about this last week, Nintendo releases Duck Hunt for the Famicom. That damn dog. The, the original troll yes. is what that dog is. <laughs> I still love Duck Hunt. I wish there was a way I could play it on the Switch. That would be because a lot of fun. Oh, shouldn't we take a drink because yeah. we said that the game would be great I, on the Switch? I actually did that just for Wally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get him drunk this episode. <laughs> oh, man. I would too, but I, I unfortunately do not have a drink with me. <laughs> but um, but no, seriously though, um, I, I, you can't play uh, light games or light gun games anymore unless you have a CRT television. And I, I don't have, I have a CRT television, but it's a flat screen, like one of the later models. I think this is probably like an early two thousands 
uh, what? Symphonic Television. I think it's a Walmart brand. So it plays games really well, and they look great on it, but the problem is you can't play light gun games on it. A great thing to have would be like a mid-'80s CRT television yeah. just to have like as a display. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be awesome. Uh, in October 15th of 1990, LucasArts releases The Secret of Monkey Island, which is uh, on one of their point-and-click adventures, which is uh, pretty much a... This is a classic game for the computer. I mean, it's a, a, one of the great games developed by LucasArts throughout the 90s. I've heard of it. Never played it, though. You can still pick these up on Steam as we speak. So if you're interested in a good point-and-click adventure, I mean, in, in the vein of, you know, uh, Maniac Mansion, things like that, the, that's pretty much the same game engine runs Secret of Monkey Island. I mean, it sounds like a game that I would enjoy. But like I said, I never really got into the, the point-and-click games. But... Uh, you know what? I skipped one. I'm sorry. I'll let you do the, uh, the uh, 1987. I don't know why I skipped that. No, it's all good. In October of 1987, Nintendo releases Mike Tyson's Punch-Out for NES slash Famicom. Love Punch-Out. It's one of my favorite games. It's, it's mm -hmm. one of my go-to games when I can't figure out what I want to play. Always go straight to Punch-Out. It's always yeah, satisfying. It's, it's a classic, and again, it would be, if you made like a modern version of this, it'd be a, a pretty nice throwback, I think. Yeah, if you could do it, you know, maybe on the Switch. <laughs> Take a drink, Wally. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> on October 25th of 1994, Microprose releases UFO Enemy Unknown and the strategy game of the year, Master of Orion. Do I remember UFO Enemy Unknown? Whoa, that cover art looks awesome. Let's see. It's a science. Oh, yeah, you're right. Video strategy video game developed by Mythos Games and Microprose. Um, let's see. Game mixes cool real-time management simulation with turn-based tactics. It sounds like right up my alley. Yeah, then Master of Orion. The 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 cover art to that's pretty cool too, but not as good as Enemy Unknown. Oh, that Enemy Unknown poster is awesome. I'd love to have a poster of that. Yeah, it would just make a cool display. Hell yeah, it would. I love game art from back in the day, man. It's so cool. Oh, me too. Uh, on uh, Wait, is this one yours? Yeah, I'm it's so our last one. Sorry. <laughs> uh, all good. On October 31st, 1996, Acclaim releases WWF In Your House for DOS, PS1, and the Sega Saturn. It's the first WWF game developed specifically for consoles, which is crazy to think about because that's you know, getting in a little bit later in the 90s. I, I remember there was an arcade game back in the day, but... It says, I've never played this before. I mean, I have this game I have not played, uh, and I have played res uh, wrestling games on like PS2 and things like that. But this says just like WrestleMania in your house is not a wrestling game in the normal sense, as it is heavily influenced by Mortal Kombat. It features digitized sprites of the wrestlers and many over the top, unrealistic and magical moves and taunts by the wrestlers. The game also features finishing moves, which are performed before the final pin. I'll have to look up some gameplay of that. I know. Uh, this is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I haven't played a, a good wrestling game in, in a long time. I might pick up 2K19 when it comes out. Just because I, I haven't played 
the last WWE game I played was in 2012 or 2013. But you know, back in the, especially with the N64 days, I used to love playing wrestling games with friends because we'd create ourselves and fight each other. Yeah, that's what we. Used it was to so do. much fun. Uh, the last one I played, I think, was SmackDown on the PlayStation Two. I think that was yep. the last wrestling game I played. I have not played one since. And I think we had more fun just making wrestlers like ourselves than we did actually playing the game. There are some stories I could tell about wrestling games that I'd feel better if I didn't tell them on this podcast. <laughs> but just just ask me about them one day. And I'll say that uh, certain friends of mine got very upset over some certain creations. <laughs> yeah, we used to make friends of ours, too. Actually, we made a really good one of our friend Pete that looked just like him. It was scary. What we would do is like, we would create ourselves, and then we would set you know all the players to computer, mm-hmm. and we would just watch. Like, it was so... And we, we, we would play as well, but a lot of times we were just, you know, set everybody as AI and just watch us all beat the hell out of each other. And the physics of the game never were in my favor either. So I would always make a wrestler that was tall and skinny like I am. And at the time I was like 185 pounds. So I would make a six foot three wrestler, 185 pounds and put him in the ring and just get destroyed (laughs) by everybody. Cause everybody outweighed me by like a hundred pounds. Yeah, that was the same with me, too. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, But we're going to be uh, for our review tonight. Derek, are you ready to do your review for this evening? Sure. Let's do this. He is going to be talking about... Ah, good stuff. Yes. That that's that's some classic classic music right there. But if you didn't know what that song was, it is from the game that I will be reviewing this week, Super Mario Land for the Nintendo Game Boy. It is a 1989, which I think makes this the oldest game that I've reviewed. Uh so while I can say that I don't talk about things just from the mid to late 90s, <laughs> Um, It is a 1989 side-scrolling platform video game developed and published by Nintendo as a launch title for their Game Boy handheld game console. It's the first Mario platform game ever to be released for a handheld console. In gameplay similar to that of 1985 Super Mario Bros., but resized for the smaller device's screen, uh, the player advances Mario to the end of 12 levels by moving to the right and jumping across platforms to avoid enemies and pitfalls. So basically, it plays just like the original Super Mario Brothers. Now, the graphics, especially if you played this on the original Game Boy, you had to be in a very well-lit room mm-hmm. because it was a lot of light background and dark objects and dark characters. So, a little hard to see, especially when you're trying to play it in a car, yeah. much like I did on numerous occasions, and usually failed for the most part. But, it is still a fun game if you like the Mario franchise, if you like that old school 2D uh, side-scrolling uh, genre. 
you know, it, it's definitely worth trying. It's not anything really out of the ordinary because the only the only power ups you get are the mushroom, which make you bigger, and then the fire flower. And it looks like you're shooting bullets instead of uh, instead of uh, fireballs. But again, that's kind of the the graphical limitation of the Game Boy. But, you know, all in all, this game does spark some good memories for me, because as I mentioned, you know, the thing that made me fall in love with the Game Boy was driving to and from uh, my grandparents' fishing camp in Tallahassee, which is about three, three and a half hours from where I lived at the time. Uh, so eventually, you know, I, I had gotten the Game Boy or my parents had got me the Game Boy. And this was the first game that I got for it. And being, you know, the huge Mario fan that I was, was really excited to get it. And the crazy thing is, and this is kind of an epic fail on my part. I could never beat the game as a kid. I would make it to maybe the third world. It just kept dying over and over and over. And then, you know, as I got older, I stopped playing the Game Boy as much. Or I moved on to, you know, the sequels that came out and then, you know, you had Pokemon and other games that came out. So I never went back and finished this game. And then a couple of months later, or a couple of months ago, I went through this little phase where I wanted to go back and play the old Super Mario Land games because there's three of them. And I figured, you know, I'd go back and try to, to beat the first one. World 3 was still a little challenging. But I was able to get past it. And sure enough, the game's really not that long. And that, that's and, what and it I felt like a failure. Here. It was it was lauded by critics who were satisfied with the franchise's transition to Game Boy, but noted its short length. And another cool thing is, is this game, Super Mario Land, sold over 18 million copies, more than that of Super Mario Brothers 3. That's insane, isn't it? I know. And the thing is, like, and it's not a bad game. It's just very basic. Yeah. It's very much, it's, if you're comparing, because you had Super Mario Land 2 and 3, which in that was kind of the first spinoff Wario game. Those games are much better because the graphics are better. The games are longer. They have more depth. They have more variety. They have better power-ups. Yeah, but the, the, it's kind of like the the Mario Brothers franchise on the consoles. They all had to start somewhere, and they all started with Super Mario One. And you wouldn't have had two and three if you didn't have one. Yeah. So in a way, you wouldn't have had Mario Land two and three without Super Mario Land. And, and the so thing the, I didn't know about this till not too long ago. I was watching something about this game, and uh, Shigeru Miyamoto was actually not involved in this in the making of this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was actually a, a, a big deal. I mean, I didn't know it when I was a kid, but as I got older and you know the internet became more advanced, and I started reading up about these older games that I played, you know, I was pretty shocked to find out that you know it was kind of a big deal that he was very hands-off on the whole project because yeah, it was actually developed by the game boy creator gunpei gunpei yokoi um head of the nintendo r and d one development team because you got to think back then miyamoto had his hand in everything mm-hmm. so to have you know have him not be involved but still have it you know be successful i mean we just mentioned it outsold super mario brothers 3 
it's pretty wild when yeah, you think about it. I'm but uh, to tell this though, I'd like to actually get this for and, and play it on uh, the Super Game Boy. That would be the way to play it. Yeah, I in no way would I recommend playing it on the <laughs> old Game Boy. No, no disrespect to the old Game Boy because I loved it, but now I would get the Super Game Boy for the SNES, and then I would get I build a collection of Game Boy games. Yeah, and play them that way. Well, this was or, a I mean, launch title also. I mean, nothing at launch is going to be, you know, be able to push the system or anything like that. Oh, of course. But to tell a little bit about the story, because it's actually pretty interesting, unlike other Mario games which take place in the Mushroom Kingdom, Super Mario Land is set in Sarasa Land and drawn in line art. Mario pursues Princess Daisy, which is her first appearance in the franchise, uh, instead of Princess Peach. Uh, instead of fighting Bowser, you fight an alien named Tatanga, hmm. who was not really that hard of a boss to fight. I, I will say a little bit of a variety in this game is that you have some levels where you're underwater and you're driving a submarine, or you're flying through the air and you're flying an airplane. Huh. But those are usually on you know levels that have bosses in them. So there's a little bit of a variety in there, but other than that, it's just your typical... You know, you run to the right, you jump on enemies, you collect coins, you collect your power-ups, and that's pretty much it. But all in all, you know, it, it was a it was a very popular and it was a pretty well-received game back in the day. You know, some of the reviews, uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly gave it a 31 out of 40, Eurogamer gave it a 7 out of 10, uh, Player One gave it a 98%. So, you know, people did like it. Especially for something, you know, that was made back then. Like, I, I completely forgot that this game was made in 1989. I know. That's, I, I thought it was later than that, honestly. I, did, I don't remember this being a launch title for the Game Boy. I, I always thought the Game Boy launched with Tetris. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Because Mario Land and Tetris were the first two games that I had for the Game Boy. But I had, I guess, you know, it's just memory kind of fuzzy from back then. Yeah. You know, I had no idea that the even the Game Boy itself was that old. Yeah, and I didn't even get a Game Boy till like 93 or so, 92, 93, somewhere around there. So it was a couple of years old by the time I got one. And I bought one that was, uh, it, it was, it had Zelda with it. Mm-hmm. And um, I never, I never had. I think that was the only game I ever had for the Game Boy was Zelda. I still say that's the probably the best Game Boy game that was ever made was Link's Awakening. Um, but you know the Mario Land games are up there too. Eventually, I am going to review uh, Mario Land two and three because during that little phase, I went through both of those and beat them because that's what I would do when I would get home is I would just you know, pull out Mario Land or Mario Land 2 and I would play them for an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Yeah. So they don't, now that I'm older, they don't take as long to get through because I realize of how short they are. Mm -hmm. But I guess that kind of thinks back, you know, whenever you were a kid, when games seemed to be so big. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that definitely caught me by surprise when the game was that short because I remember reading that you know, when you got to the level with the airplane, that was with the final boss. And when I got to it, I was like, wait a minute. 
it didn't take that long. Yeah, Maybe I, I wasn't as good of a gamer as a kid when I thought. Yeah, I remember seeing a, a video about this not too long ago, and, and that's the one thing they were talking about was how short the game was. Like, you can beat it in, like, 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. No, that's that's definitely true. But uh, as far as where this game ranks, I, mean, I would put it below the, the console versions of the Mario games. Just because, you know, I have more sentimental value and to me they're they're just better games. But Mario Land itself is not a bad game. It is it is a solid game and it's something that, you know, if you're a Mario fan and you've never played it, you should definitely go check it out because it's it's very much a reflection of Mario Brothers One. And, and as a side note, the music in this game is very good. Uh, it's got that, you know, kind of high pitched eight bit tone to it, but the um, one of my favorite uh, bits of music from this game, and I was glad they brought it back for Super Smash Brothers Brawl, was the dungeon theme. Mm. You should definitely go look that up because they did a remix for uh, the story mode in Smash Brothers Brawl. And I remember playing that game for the first time and I was like, wait, that song sounds really familiar. And about five seconds later, I was like, holy crap. That's from Super Mario Land. I haven't played that game in like 15 years. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Game Boy actually had a better sound chip in it than the Nintendo did. You might be right. I, I don't know that 100%, but it just the, the music is very... It, I can't really think of any other way to describe it is that it's it's very good. You know, it's it's much better than what you might think like I'd prefer it to a lot of the other Mario tracks that I've heard. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, eight bit, um, what do they call that music where they, that got people use like the, they'll use an old game boy to create like eight bit music. Yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. So I think if I'm not, I mean, it came out, you know, five years after the Nintendo was de would was developed. So it it wouldn't be that far fetched to think that you know the sound chip in that would be better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, as far as a number rank on this game, I'd probably give it a solid seven. You know, it's not the best Mario game of all time, but it was a very fun one to go back and you know, complete a game that I had never beat when I was younger and kind of see where the the handheld version of mm -hmm. the Mario franchise went. And like I said, sometime soon I'll be reviewing uh, Mario Land 2, which is uh, it's up there on my favorite Mario games list and does introduce a little known character named Wario. Ah. I was wondering when Wario was was announced. And people loved Wario yeah. when that game came out. I mean, the, the Mario Land 3 starred him. So that should tell you how popular that character was. Well, I'm definitely interested in going back and playing these. Because you can find these, you know... <laughs> these are a dime a dozen, finding Super Mario Land cartridges. I see them everywhere. I think one of my next things I might get is a Super Game Boy. That's Because I've started to see those around town. So I might get one... And then get, you know, the actual cartridges of Mario Land, Link's Awakening, uh, Donkey Kong, and Pokemon. Yeah, my local retro game store, they have at least 10 at any given time Super Game Boys. So I don't think it'll be too hard to pick one up. 
you know what would be a great idea? Because hmm. I because I will be in Biloxi Ooh, yes. in a couple of weeks. We need to go to the retro store. Yes. Which uh, w- would you like to tell everyone why I will be in Biloxi? Yes, because we. If you are interested and you are in the Biloxi area and you're going to Gulf Coast Fan Fest this year, which is taking place at the Mississippi Gulf Coast Coliseum Convention Center, we are going to be having a panel and a live episode of the Nerd Cave Retro Sunday the 14th at 4.30 p.m. Uh, are you sure it's 4.30? I thought it was 4. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's 4.30. I will double-check on that Facebook message and see. But either way, just be there around 4 o'clock, and we'll be there. Uh, we're, I don't, I'm not sure what room we're going to be in, uh, what panel room we're going to be in, but just go to Gulf Coast Fan Fest. Look us up. We're going to be there. We've got a panel at 4, either 4 or 4.30, either one of those. And uh, It's 4.30. Okay, cool. So it's 4.30 at the Gulf Coast Fan Fest. Please come out. Say hi. Um, we're going to take questions. Uh, have your retro gaming questions ready for us. We're going to record a live show. Please come out and say hi. It's going to be so much fun. And we'll have Mr. Wallace Phelps yes. on the panel with us as well, which I'm, as I said, uh, I, I was telling Jason before we did the show, um, I'm just going to kind of sit back because I'm just going to feed off the talent <laughs> of Jason and Wally. And I'll, I'll just chime in when I need to. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Wally's going to be there with us. We're going to have a live show. We're going to have so much fun. So you guys, please come out and uh, and watch the live show. Have some questions for us. And come laugh with us, because I, I guarantee you there's going to be some funny stuff said. And I'll try to keep the Owen Wilson impression to a minimum. Wow. 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 So that's, uh, that's our big announcement. We were going to announce it last week, but I wasn't sure if we were able to yet. But we got the okay. From from Steve, we're, we can go ahead and say it. And like I said, we're not going to be here next week. We have to take the week off uh, to kind of recharge the batteries. And um, you know, schedules got a little conflicted next week, so um, we're not going to be here next week. But the week after, please come to the live episode if you're in the Biloxi area. Um, if we you're in Florida, we're not that far. If you're in Alabama or Louisiana, it's not that far of a drive for you. So come over, say hi. And uh, Gulf Coast Fan Fest is going to be awesome. I mean, Jason Muse is going to be there. Um, who else is going to be there? There's going to be... Uh, um, let me look up who all is going to be there real quick. That's what I'm doing, too. Okay. Uh, I know Flash Gordon's going to be there. Flash. Oh! oh. Let's see. Guess Jason Muse. Oh, he's a, he's only on Sunday only, the day we're going to be there. Uh, Ray Park, um, who played Darth Maul. Um, we've got Peter Davison, who was the, uh, is he, which doctor is he? Is he the f- uh, fifth doctor or sixth doctor? Can't remember. He um, is the fifth doctor. Fifth doctor. Uh, of course, Sam Jones, Flash Gordon is going to be there. Uh, a bunch of people from The Walking Dead is going to be there. Uh, let's see. Ming Chen. Ming Chen's going to be there. Uh, wrestling legend, the, what's his name? The, the Honky Tonk Man. Honky Tonk Man's going to be there. Uh, Oh man, there's so many people going to be here. It's crazy. Yeah, it's going to be October 13th and 14th. Yes. Oh, but the 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 biggest guest of all though, Mr. Steve Scott. Yes, Mr. Steve Scott's going to be in town for the weekend. So if you're a listener of the Pop Culture Palette, um Steve was one of the original co-hosts. He's also a comic book artist 
and uh, he he's done Justice League of America, Batman, Spider Man, every single comic you can think of, he has drawn for. So come out, see him, come see us, be there, just be there. It's gonna be great. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. You know, it, it's been I haven't been to a convention, you know, since Pensacon, and this will be the first convention in a while that I'm going to just do a panel. Yeah, and just which is going to be a little weird, but no, it'll be fun. I'm actually really excited about it. So come out and say hi. Like I said, come see us. We're going to be there. It's going to be a great show. Come out. Please, please come out. Please. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. So, Derek, anything else you want to uh, throw out there before we leave this week? No, it's just uh, if for those who, if you, uh, if you need your fix for next week, you can check out uh, all 200 episodes yeah. of the Derek Diamond Experience <laughs> podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also follow the show on social media at D Diamond Podcast. Uh, as I said, you know, last week, not doing a new show until January, but there's plenty of episodes yes. to uh, to go through. And, and I, I texted Jason this. Uh, it was either earlier today or last night. I went through to figure out who had the most appearances on my show just because, you know, I'm changing the format of it. So it's going to be a little different, but uh, Jason actually tied for third yes. with 10 appearances. So Wow, I didn't for, know it was that many. For what that's worth, congratulations. I'll, uh, I'll send you a, a gift card for a free download. <laughs> I don't remember being on 10 times. That's nuts. Well, it, it's technically it's because you know, a lot of them were two-parters. Like, mm. Servi was a two-parter. The Zelda Roundtable was that's a two-parter. Right. Yeah. I think you did two by yourself, and there were a couple of roundtables with Wally yes. that were thrown in there, too. So, no, side note, Jason was actually the third guest I ever had on my show, <laughs> that was which, God, long. seems like another lifetime ago. I know. Seems so long. I mean, I remember when we had you guys on for the first time, we did a, like, a huge roundtable crossover episode. Um with pop culture palette and mm -hmm. it was all the nerd cave guys and all of us on one Skype call. It was nuts. Oh, it was insane. <laughs> we had to split it into two episodes. I think we did part one and you did part two or something, or in, it was on the nerd cave show and you guys did like part two or something like that. Yeah. I want to say that was right. Yeah. That was, God, when was that was like 2015. I think it might have been earlier than that. I think it might have been 2014. Wow. We're getting old, so, man. <laughs> so get this. The day that your first show aired when you came on my show was March 31st of 2014. Whoa. Yeah. We were That's such weird lads. <laughs> God, I was still in my 20s at I that time. I was still in my 30s. <laughs> uh, we're both getting old. Yes, we are. And on that note, let's go ahead and get out of here. What do you say? Let's do it. If oh, 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 uh, Please play music. Don't do this to me right now. There you go. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. You can go to our website at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro, at jfunktastic, at Derek underscore diamond. If you would like to be a Patreon supporter of the show and get some extra episodes, go to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. And if you 
can't do that, you don't have enough money to give us every month, then go leave us a review or tell people about us. Go on our Facebook page and talk to us, facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro, or on Twitter, whichever one you prefer. And don't forget, uh, October 14th at 4.30, come watch us live at the Gulf Coast Fan Fest in Biloxi, Mississippi. So Derek, please, tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Wow. Wow.